direction for this year. You might remember the way that we do this is some organizations to come up with maybe even your job has shared like, here's the quarterly projections and the numbers that we want to hit. And this is why we're going to do that. And this is how we're going to make planes that don't fall apart and things like that. <laughs> Thanks, Boeing. I'm just kidding. It's not your fault. <laughs> Yeah, screw a Bolton every now and then, Zach. <laughs> no, but but the church, I was even talking to Miralla, who's super sick today, but that's sweet. She'll hear that later. Talking about how, in a lot of ways, this isn't that stressful, talking about what we want God to do in us, because it's different than those kinds, like being a CEO of an organization where you're like, I've got to explain to people how we're going to be doing downsizing and upsizing and expansion and debt leveraging and things like that. But it, it's a it's a gift because we're talking about, oh, what we really long and what we're talking about is how we want Jesus to change us and how we how we believe that he's even calling us to to, you know, kind of lean into or go towards to respond to Jesus and what he's doing. We believe that it's something he's going to do in all of us. The one big, huge change for Evie is we're going to start doing this. It's, we've done this historically from January to December, like a calendar year. We'll just be super honest. What we do is we like have these retreats and we pray and we think about it. It all happens during the holiday season. Like everybody has a holiday. As elders, we have a holiday. As deacons, we have a holiday, just like you guys. And it's actually been really exhausting. And it's also really weird because we start the year, then the summer happens, and then we like... So we're actually shifting the way we do the visions to be from the school year, basically. From the fall, winter, spring. And so this is like a... This is going to be the the vision, and then we'll re redo that. And we'll just go through the school year. Even though we're not... None of us are really in school that much anymore. But it's actually, it's how our brains work. So that's that's how we're going to do it moving forward. So you can kind of put that little nugget in your brain and, I guess, go with it. Yes, there will be questions later. I mean, no, I'm just kidding. What? <laughs> go for it. That there will be another one of these in August or in a year and a half. Oh, that's a great question. We talked about a year and a half. We talked about a year and a half. Maybe there'll be it's one. feels a little soon. Yeah. Maybe it's, we might, we might revisit. In yeah, 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 totally. You don't need yeah. to avoid each other. <laughs> Circle back and we'll touch base. We'll schedule that email. So what we do is we get together and we st spend time praying. We spend time listening for God to reveal to us, to remind us of his, really his presence and his activity in the issues that we face and the good things that we face. And it's trying to be attentive to what God is. Another way of like is taking stock, which is a phrase used for, you know, grocery stores, retail, you know, outlets where you've got to go and actually take stock. What's in our warehouse right now? What's actually there? And so there's some taking stock as, as elders, we thought and talked about the reality of people move in, people move out both in our church and outside of our church. We're mostly urban, you know, professionals pursuing excellence and wonderful things in our lives. We're also people that struggle with the reality of biological family or nuclear family. Some of us struggle with our spiritual family. We have wounds, we have questions, we have all these different tensions. We talked about how 
we really are as a church of people who desire for other people to know God. But we also perceive hostility or closed doors, even with the people that we love the most. feels like often there's just all of these signs and you know, warnings like Jesus not welcome here. Don't be a fool. Don't touch the electric wire. Also, though, at the same time, feels like we're having this big societal pendulum swing uh, as people are growing in their discontentment or dissatisfaction with the secular story, for lack of a better word, of people just like this whole we're progressing and getting better and better and Humans are good if we can figure out, you know, who's on top and who's on bottom. And like people are just growingly disenchanted with the whole story because it doesn't feel like it's actually working. The Grand New Deal was almost 100 years ago. Uh, Woodrow Wilson's big speeches. He was a president once. Just kidding. Everybody knows that. We're all smart. (laughs) Woodrow Wilson gave all these good speeches about world peace. It was 100 years ago, and those problems haven't solved. Actually, Woodrow Wilson and several others created a lot of the problems that we experience today. Uh, And so there's a disenchantment with, I thought we could get rid of God, we could get rid of spirituality, we could just hold on to the material, and we could all just be inclusive and things would work out. And yet we find ourselves really disenchanted with it. Our city is now mostly working from home, our part of the city, without connection to people and place, kind of detached Yeah, we're also kind of in a moment where we might carry doubt, like somebody shared. Um, Does God save that person? Does God care about these things? And I think there's a real honest taking stock of our own selves. Even if it scares us, sometimes we have to admit honest things when you're back there looking at the storehouses or the warehouse, if you'll keep with my imagery. Uh, We're a church that hasn't seen that many adults come to know Jesus. Like that's a a taking stock thing. Not that no good thing has happened, all these wonderful things. But there's a point where like, oh yeah, like not a lot of adults actually have come to know Jesus. Even though we have this term missional on like every page of our website, and we talk about it as everything we do, we also make sacrifices for it. We adjust our lives for the mission of God, hours, time, money, being friends with people that maybe we wouldn't be friends with anyway. But I think there is a moment for us to like kind of acknowledge of like, oh, we've been doing that. Like, what is what is God up to then? You know, are we just are we posers? Are we just, you know, pretending? Uh, but what as I think about it, I think that we truly love the mission of God and we love to see the mission of God flow through us. We love Jesus. We're earnest to try to even follow him excellently, see ourselves completely transformed. But I think as we looked at our context and we we thought, you know, we live in a place where our friends come and go, uh, where our neighbors are naturalists and skeptics and principled agnostics. It's a great phrase. I learned it at Oxford. I'm an agnostic on principle. Albert Einstein was one of those. Anyway, our church is small. Our city's big. We've tried. What was God doing? Is he doing anything? Maybe you can even think about the entire church. It's like, what the, what's the entire church doing right now? Are we totally missing the boat? Maybe you look at your own life and you're not really thinking about the church all that much, which is great and super normal. 
It's weird people that are thinking about the church all the time. And maybe you're just looking at your own life and the chaos and the change of like the last four years that this kind of cycle we've been on and all the change across all of our society. And like, what is God doing with the mess of my life? And so we as elders, we spent time thinking about all of that and praying and thinking about what is God leading us towards with that kind of mess, maybe, or that stuff uh, that we just see in our lives. What is he actually doing? And so what what we kind of flows in our vision for the year, it's on page two. Some of y'all have already looked at it, but what we feel like God is really calling us to, the unity that we all got around around, this is what God wants us to grow in, is that we believe that we're being called to become a people of hope and witness this year, a people that hope in Jesus, that believe, oh, like, that we could even see some hopes renewed, some hopes raised up of, I actually believe Jesus is, is operating in this world even when I don't see or I don't understand. And also be people of witness that we would testify. That word is an actual, like a kind of a courtroom drama word around someone who stands up and says, I was there, I saw it, and give testimony to the hope of God in our daily lives that we would be people that share those moments where we see Jesus at work with one another, becoming a people of storytellers, becoming a church that that shares the story, and our witnesses, or even that old biblical word, martyr. And the reason I think that that's all really important is because I think, and this is just my hobby horse, so it lines up real nicely for me, but I do believe, and there's some data to back it up, that the primary preeminent question of our time is not does god exist or was there is there a god it is is there anything that can actually change and impact our world today is there anything to hope for like that's the big question in 2000 there was a stanford sociologist and he's an international affairs specialist which is i didn't know that was a job but his name is Francis Fukuyama, and he wrote a book that's actually quite prophetic now. They called it The Great Disruption. And what he said was, is that he was looking at the sociological trends all over the world, the, the modern, you know, advanced nations of the world. And what he talked about was that, that there was this ending that was happening around the turn of the century of meaningful community, like meaningful community of all sorts of societies all over the world, including the United States and Western Europe, that there was this drawing the, a dying of meaningful community, and there was a rise of an individualism. He also said there was a growing distrust of institutions and even the media, and there was a, a growing reality of broken families. All over the, the modern world, higher crime, greater awareness. He saw the technological advances happening and thought, we are going to become aware constantly of natural disasters all over the world, of conflicts, of wars, of disease all over the world. He said, this is what's going to happen to us. And then, and then he said, and we are going to spiral into despair and confusion. And then this is, this is the last quote from him, Francis Fukuyama. Y'all should look him up. But anyway, he says this, in a world in which we no longer believe family, finances, and fame repair what's broken within us, we will ask, is there anything to hope for? This is like a preeminent secular sociologist researcher at Stanford. In a world where we no longer believe family, finances, and fame will repair what's broken within us, we will ask, is there anything to hope for? So we believe that God is calling us to become a people of hope. 
And I think that's pretty exciting. Uh, the, the mass rejection of cultural Christianity, I think, is a great, great thing. I think it's really, it's really swell. <laughs> I think it's really wonderful. I think that what, what's kind of coming up in its place is this really exciting thing that, that is people's proper souls are operating. Or I think humanity has this internal barometer that seeks satisfaction and truth and authenticity and like an encounter with God. I think there's a barometer within us and this mass rejection of people playing Christianity or playing church as Chris talks about people saying, no, that's like actually not good. I don't want, I don't want a faith that's not real. I think that's people saying no to something that's, that makes a lot of sense. But most of us, I think even those raised within the church, often we reject it because we haven't heard a message and the purpose of Jesus. And what would it look like this year if we heard the message of hope? We got it, you know, deep into our bones, if we believed it and we saw it lived out. What if we became a people of hope, grand witnesses to God's purpose in the world? I think repentance would happen. You know, we would exchange all the alternative hopes that we've kind of attached or adopted or inherited from other people. We would reject those hopes whether it's fame or finances or family or children or, you know, our careers or whatever, we'd say, oh, that actually isn't going to change us. And we would cling on to and believe in Jesus. I think some of us might surrender our despair, like at the altar. Um, there's a great Albert Camus, he's a French philosopher. Sorry. He wrote this great book that's I've probably mentioned already called The Plague. It's very traumatizing. It's really good, but it's, 1945, it's kind of about fascism. But anyway, sorry. Uh, he talks about this people, they're in this, there's a plague that's happening. They're in quarantine. They're stuck in their houses. They can't leave. The, the town is in quarantine. They're turning against each other. People are rioting and burning stuff. It's, we've experienced this. And anyway, he says, he says, it's not the despair that's bad. It's the habit of despair that kills a community. And so I think some of us might leave our, our despair at the altar. And, and there might be repentance even around despair. We might take in at that altar the fragrance of God's grace. I think through becoming a people of hope, we would be confident and not embarrassed because of our resounding belief in the gospel yeah. and the truth of God. Uh, this is what Paul says in Romans 5, 5, which is on the front of your packet. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So you see, he continues, it's not on your packet. Paul says, you see, at just the right time when we're still powerless, and a lot of, us, a lot of the lack of hope is because we feel powerless. Christ died for the ungodly when we were still powerless. Very rarely does a person die for a righteous or good person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we're still sinners, while we're still despairing, while we're still longing after these other hopes of the world, Christ died for us. So this isn't really a call to heighten activity or cool things or new programs or better strategies, but it's a call to deeper faith through repentance, through hope. Uh, also, the witness part, I'll do, I'll do that faster, uh, or not, if I don't get distracted by French philosophers. 
what Jesus said uh, when he announced to his disciples that they would receive the Holy Spirit in Acts 1. He says, you're going to become martyrs uh, to his power, witnesses to his power. They would see and they would experience the power of the Spirit of God. And we believe that that's what we're called into. Even if you think about the Romans 5 passage, how we're not put to shame because the Holy Spirit has been given to us in our hearts. And so that's why our hope is not shameful or embarrassing. Jesus tells the disciples, the Holy Spirit's going to come and you're going to be witnesses, testifiers, giving an account to the world of the power of the Holy Spirit that I will give to you. We're called into that this year. Uh, before we came to associate the word martyr with persecution or death, Jesus said it's a role that we have. The God's billboard to the world. It's how Eugene Peterson talked about it. Like somebody walking around with an A-frame and their little head through it. And we're walking around the neighborhood with basically this thing on us that says, coming attraction to a neighborhood near you, love, hope, and grace. It's kind of cheesy because Eugene Peterson's cheesy old man when he wrote that. But it's lovely and it's true that we would witness to Jesus this year. Lastly, like a highly influential missiologist and theologian, kind of the stuff that's underneath everything that we do as a church. His name's Leslie Newbigin, English theologian. But he succinctly describes our responsibility this way. He says, the business of the church is to tell and to embody a story. And so for us this year, we want to grow in becoming a people that tell and that embody a story. Uh, we believe that that's what we're called to do. He goes on, Newbegin, to ask and answer his own question. That's how you know you're super smart. You ask a question, and you're like, let me tell you the answer. I just think that's funny. It's a funny device. But he says, how can this strange story of God made flesh of a crucified Savior of resurrection and new creation become credible for those whose entire mental training has conditioned them to believe that the real world is the world which can be satisfactorily explained and imagined without the hypothesis of God. So how are we supposed to tell, one of my professors at Oxford says, how are we supposed to explain to people that these fairy tales are true? Because all of their training, everybody's training in life, and the way that, like we're told, the way the world works is the Bible and everything, and it's a fairy tale. Like that's not how the world works. So how are we supposed to explain to people, make believable what the world thinks are fairy tales? Newbegin answers the question this. I know of only one clue to answering that question. Only one real explanation of the gospel. He says, congregation that believes it. What is the one way that we can make this story, this grand story, like understood in our culture, to our neighbors, even to one another? It's a congregation, a group of people that believe it. And so that's what we're going to be on about this year there's a lot fewer words there and i'll talk even more about it in the coming weeks but that is our that is our prayer vision we ask and invite you to pray for that that we would become a people of hope that you would become a person of hope and witness you'd be brave to share your story in your dna group brave to share what god is doing in your missional community Brave to even talk in your DNA group about why that's hard to talk about what God is doing. Brave to talk about parts that you, where you feel like this is just a fairy tale. Mm -hmm. And to process that in communities.
but the, the other people of the leadership team will share kind of some highlights, right, from the goals for 2024. Um, is that right? Don't actually, not on that. Oh, yeah. You need the packet? You need the packet, dude. I wanted to make sure I wasn't missing this. Yeah, that's what I just did. Okay, good. <laughs> um, so let's talk about some of the ways that we're trying to embody this for the year. Um, here's an obvious one, but it wasn't, wasn't obvious until we prayed about it. I guess we should really have a time of prayer in the gatherings. Right. Well, we should be integrated into the rhythm of how we do the gatherings. I think what you're going to find is that a lot of what Brad just talked about comes from being a people of prayer. We have to be praying for people if we're hoping to see them come to know Jesus. And we want to make time for that every week. And also uh, just a time for like us individually to be prayed for, because it is going to, right? Like we've shared, there's hard things that we're going through. There's times that we need prayer. We want to incorporate that into the gathering. We're also doing something that I think is going to be really cool. We're going to be sharing our stories for a month in the gathering as well in a series we're calling some stories so we're going to be asking individuals to get up and share and really basically give their testimony in exactly the way brad just described as far as being able to testify to who god is and what he's been doing in their life obviously we're going to do a sermon series on hope and testimony <laughs> i think that is self-explanatory the art installation on hope, and this may seem a little bit out of the ordinary for us, but I think it makes a lot of sense. It's going to be very similar to what we just did here. We're going to basically have kind of a standing wall that we'll be attaching, sticking notes to gradually, gathering after gathering to add to the things that we are hoping to see for the year, ways that we feel encouraged by God, ways that we are hoping in Him. Then in Lent, uh, we're really going to be taking stock of our passion for the lost and the mission of God. This is something Brad talked about a little bit. I just want to throw it out there like, hey, there are probably things worth lamenting in that. If you really are serious about the mission of God, there are probably times where you have been disappointed in ways you have not seen someone come to faith as you hoped they would. And there's no shame in that. But I think that if we stay alone in those feelings that can start to become overwhelming right maybe that's when despair starts to become habitual or we find ourselves asking in a quiet space is god really good enough to save this person and i think what we want to do is create a space where we can actually be open and honest about that not to try and shame ourselves into doing better, but to have a real honest conversation with God. Because I do believe God will meet us in those places where we doubt, where we feel frustrated or uncertain about what he's doing. And then here's just like a nice simplification we're going to be doing. We're going to include the kids in the worship time at the beginning and end, right? They love hearing us sing. They like to sing themselves even. And we thought it would be a really sweet way for them to hear some of the words of Jesus as a part of every Sunday. So in terms of what that means practically, it just means that kids' class won't start 
until worship is done. It's a little bit less pre pressure on all the teaching staff, hopefully, in terms of time that you're away from the larger group of the gathering. And and you get to do that both on the front end and the back end. Thanks, Casey. Yeah. Is that the worship at the end as well? Just so I think it's actually just the beginning. Is it just the beginning? Yeah, it's okay. I thought Sarah would clear it up, but now I see Sarah's not here. Do you want to talk about the missional communities? Well, no, I'll just come to the DNA group. Oh, great. Uh, so DNA groups, you know, similar to what we did this year, right? We really wanted to put this, our, our time in DNA, the word of God itself, the actual scripture. We, we made a conscious effort this year. Brad did a lot of great work on you know, providing resources uh, for those sermon series that we, we walked through, right? So that we could ask the four questions, who is God? What has he done? Who are we and how did he live in light of that? And applying that directly to the scriptures, right? And so we're going to continue to do that, allowing us in our DNA is to follow along with the sermons and really continue to dive into to the Bible and the word of God, reflect on it, apply it uh, to our lives. And I think a part of what, what Brad was talking about in terms of the witness is really sharing our own testimonies in our DNA, right? And I know I can personally attest to it is really unnatural for me to talk about myself have a sneaking suspicion that's probably true for a fair amount of us as well. So this year, really wanting to make space in our DNA groups to to share our stories, to share, uh, like Casey even was just talking about, you know, where have we maybe lost our hope? Where have we maybe adopted a lesser hope than, than Christ in our life? You know, where are we struggling to see the goodness of God and the, the truth of his hope interacting with our lives? And, really excited to see make space for that in our dna to continue to get real and transparent and vulnerable with one another and how we're actually dealing with god and interacting with awesome yeah with personal formation then we'll go to sarah to talk about mcs or your highlights from the things we'll do with personal formation the main thing is that we want to just continue to do that encourage everyone to make remake your personal formation plan mm -hmm. and one of the things we'll be encouraging, even providing more intentional practices on how you can process your hope, how you can engage in even uh, disciplines that might help foster hope in your life, uh, lament and confession uh, as even some practices. And so that's what, and we'll do a retrain soon where if you missed the training or weren't able to come last year or you did and you want to come again, you can get trained all over again or just reminded all over again so yeah sarah do you want to share about missional communities no you're hot you're loud <laughs> i think the biggest thing we did a little bit of this um in the philippians guide is just liturgies for missional community and the idea of like less content and more practice and do and actually changing that we're not just in secluded areas just talking amongst ourselves and sharing the same thing to each other and going there. Some of that is super great, but <laughs> if we really are missional, uh, if we're just in a closed little corner somewhere, how are we actually living that out? How are we sharing that? How are we embodying hope and being that to one another and to our communities and neighbors, friends and things like that? So I think we'll probably do a little bit more training with this, but what is it honestly look like to rethink what our MCs look like. 
like that are they places truly that you can invite someone into does it have to be invited into or is your ends out to in places where people need to gather showing glimpses of hope in the gospel um i think again growing in speaking of the gospel and i think again that's like through the work of the spirit that gives us that boldness like honestly how we survive any of the tragedies and heartaches and things that are happening in this world how are we different than the news cycle than what people are sucked into is because of our hope in jesus christ and that we can learn to speak that to one another call that out and celebrate hope and speaking that yeah and i think a lot of it is telling stories to each other more and then I think in that practice, we can learn to say that to other people more boldly and openly too. But I really do, we hope and we pray for a reimagining. I think of what our MCs were and how they operate, just that more people, that us personally and others get to experience that hope in Jesus in a different way of living. Thanks so much, Sarah. Uh we only have about 15 more minutes. It's wondering what's best. Huh? 15 Yeah. Yeah. So I think I think what we can do is if it's okay, Chris and Sarah, because I'm gonna take your time. I think we can have you share your kids update on a Sunday which will be great. And we'll have you do a financial update on a Sunday. Is that cool? Except there's an important part of the financial update, which is Aaron's now on the finance team. <laughs> Ed, do you want to say that? And then Shannon is also joining the team. Like she's a she's going to be a paid bookkeeper for Selma, which is very, very good. It's, yeah, it's a great, great thing. I'm so excited. Shannon's the best. <laughs> yeah, you could just say Shannon Wu right there. <laughs> and it is, it is me. Yes. It's so great. So thank you both for, thanks for stepping into more leadership. Thanks for jumping on, Aaron. So awesome. And so, want to do is get in groups do you want to explain what we're going to do sarah it's your idea yeah <laughs> well i don't want to take somebody else's cool idea you do it yeah um 